Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have just to come and to worship you together. Lord, I gotta thank you for this place, this building that you've given us, this place that we can come as a group of people and gather. God, I pray that you'd help change it, God, from just a gathering of people but to a, be us to become a family of people gathering together in this place. God, I thank you for all the people who put their time and effort into this place, from roofing into helping with food pantrying, all the different ministries. God, I pray that you help us to make you the center of it all so we can bring you glory. God, we thank you that you are hope and our strength. And so, God, I lift up Stephanie to you right now. And she lost her husband. God, I pray that you just be with her, strengthen her, give her great comfort. I pray that you'd bring people around her. You bring us around her to strengthen and encourage her. Lord, I pray that even right now, she would just sense your presence around her. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you just take away the distractions that would distract us from your word. I pray that you would speak to us, help us to hear from you, help us to grow in our hope in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. R.C. Sproul said that the issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. You know, why do people heckle comedians? I don't think it's because they don't think the person up there is a comedian. I don't think they um, heckle them because they're opposed to comedy. I think that they heckle a comedian because they think that his presentation of comedy is not comedy, so they heckle him. You know, in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, there is an account of the people of God, which at that time was the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and now today the people of God is the church. It's us. But in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, there's an account of the people of God in a situation absolutely not filled with comedy. Actually, it's a situation completely filled with tragedy all over the place. And it's raising this question. Is God really the help of the helpless? Is God really the help of the helpless? Is he really the hope that we just sang about? Is he really faithful to us? That's the situation. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Is God really the help of the helpless. Second Kings is an interesting book of the Bible. It is an account of all these kings of Israel, the nation of Israel that God is put together from the line of David. But they are in a complete mess. The nation of Israel was supposed to be the covenant people of God. God made a promise with them that he's not going to break. But he said, if you want my blessing on you, then you've got to follow some certain things and follow me. I will be the center of your life as a nation and as a people. And if you do that, I will bless you. If you don't do that, there will be consequences and cursing. And all through 2 Kings, what you're reading about, it's just a mess. Because it's all these kings of Israel who said, no, we're not going to make God the center. We are going to go and actually we're going to become like the people we're not supposed to become like. And so they're living in this world of absolute consequence. They're suffering the consequences of their own wrong actions from God. That's the nation of Israel. That's the people of God. That's, we are the people of God. We cannot 
be in their same situation, but sometimes we find ourselves in that situation. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 24, it says this. After Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria, which was the capital of the nation of Israel at that time. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, here's the situation. The army of the nation of Israel was attacked and surrounded by their arch enemy, the Syrians. They hadn't done this for a long time, but the the king said, finally, that's it. We're going to go get rid of this nation. And so they made a huge circle around it, and they besieged it for months and for months and months, so much so that there was an absolute famine. Nobody could come into the city. Nobody could come out of the city. The food was gone. Everything was gone. And the king of Israel, if he woke up in the morning, he would have loved to think that his life, his reality was a nightmare. But he couldn't because he was so hungry that even if he had food to eat, he was so stressed out, he wouldn't be able to eat. That was the situation these people were in. So one day this king woke up. The king of Israel woke up and went on to the top of the roof of the city. For months they'd been besieged. He was supposed to be the guy who took care of all his people. This is the king's job, to serve and protect and take care of them. And he wasn't able to do it. For months this has taken place. And some of the most graphic stuff of Scripture is in these next few sentences. It says the king didn't know what to do. He's totally stressed out. He gets up and he's walking around the city. And as he's walking by, the king of Israel was passing by on the wall. And a woman cried out to him, saying, Help me, O Lord, O king. And the king was completely distressed. He has been stressed out for months. He can't take care of his people. There's absolute famine. There's nothing that he can do about it because the army outside is too powerful. And to surrender is not an option. Because what they would do to a group of people that surrendered is absolutely horrific. That they were better off staying as long as they could in the city than to allow themselves to be ravaged by the people outside. So he's absolutely stuck in this situation. And the king said, if the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? He is completely at his wit's end. He doesn't know what to do. From the, fleshing, from the threshing floor or from the wine press? I don't got any food. I can't give it to you. Where are you going to get it? I can't give you anything to drink or to eat. I am absolutely helpless. If God can't help you, who can help you? Very sarcastically, I think he said that. And the king asked her, what's your trouble? And she answered, and she's dragging this other woman along with her. I mean, this woman is screaming, desperate, holding on to this other woman. And he says, and she says, this woman, I'm sure she's just pulling her to him. This woman said to me, listen to this. We can't even imagine. Give your son that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. So help me out, O king. Make this woman kill her son so we can eat him, is what she was saying. We can't even imagine that, can we? 
We, we drove to church surrounded by green everywhere. We got corn everywhere. We are not in a famine. But I don't know if you know this, but in uh, Africa right now, in the Sudan, the Somalia, there's some of the worst famine going on in, uh, in a very long time. People are literally starving to death. I put a picture of this little boy in a pan on our refrigerator from this about a month ago. He's about two years old, totally starving to death in a bucket. Because I wanted to remind my family of how thankful we need to be on God's blessing. Because it is not always like that. And there are many people in our world who are suffering almost to the extent of these people were. But this is an unbelievable situation. They're in absolute dire famine. The king can't do anything about it. It says, when the, when the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body, which was the ultimate sign of depression, an ultimate sign of there's just, they needed some rescue. They needed some help. And so all the people who had been counting on the king, the king was supposed to be the ultimate form of justice. The king was supposed to be the one who could help them out. The king was the one who was supposed to take care of them. He can't do it. So much so that they see when he rips his clothes that he's, he doesn't know what to do either. He is absolutely lost. A lot of it does have to do with their wrong choices. But they are absolutely suffering in their situation. And the king says this, And he said, May God do so to me, or more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was the prophet of God. If you read the first few um, chapters of 2 Kings, it's all about the life of Elisha, who was God's prophet. Back then, the prophet was the conscience of the king. He was, God's con- he was God's voice to the people. And if they listened to the prophet and followed the word of God, they would receive blessing. If they rejected it, which they did, and they were suffering the consequences for it, they would receive cursings. So I'm not sure it doesn't say why the king said, that's it, I'm cutting off Elisha's head. There's a couple of reasons some people say maybe the reason was that they thought that Elisha was the one that caused this. Because if you read a little bit earlier in the chapter, there was a time when the Syrian army came down to kill Elisha, and he distracted them, and he told the king, don't kill them. So maybe the king was blaming Elisha, saying, man, if he would have just killed these people back then, we wouldn't be in this situation. That's one idea. Or maybe he was the political ruler. He was the king. He was the one that was supposed to take care of people. Maybe he was so overwhelmed with stress and unable to do anything, he wanted to divert the attention off of him onto somebody else. Politicians do that all the time, don't they? We don't really know why. He said that. But he said it. And he said, if I live the rest of the day and Elisha's head is not off, curse him. And so he was going to go after Elisha, God's voice. They were in absolute famine without any help. All the normal systems to accomplish things had been broken down. And maybe you're here this morning And you are going through a famine of your own life. Maybe all the broken, the normal systems that you think are supposed to work have not been working. 
Maybe you've been at this boss with this job for so long, he's driving you crazy, you've appealed everything, and nothing seems to change, and you're just absolutely at a loss what to do. You're, totally, you're at your wit's end. You've prayed, and nothing seems to change. Maybe you are so much struggling for God's will, you don't know what to do, you don't want to miss it, and you're just in a famine because you don't want to make a mistake. And you've been praying and praying, and God doesn't seem like he's answering you, and you almost feel like you're in a desert land, not sure which direction to go with your life. Or maybe you are just sent your kids off to college and your kids are going back to school and you're looking at you and your husband now and it's getting to be close to an empty nest or an empty nest. You're like, this is my marriage? This is my life? And it seems like a famine situation that this isn't good. Or maybe there has been just some long injustice that you've been praying about asking God to deliver and nothing has changed. You feel like you're going through this unbelievable famine and you don't know what to do. You've prayed, you've poured out your heart to God, and it seems like it never changes. And you are possibly ready to say, really? Really? Does God really help the helpless? It doesn't seem like he is. What's the answer? Because that was the king's question. Verse 32 says, Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders who were sitting with him, Do you see, this, see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Now Elisha is not living in any different circumstance than the king. And neither are these elders of the people who are listening to Elisha speak. Elisha is just as hungry. The elders are just as hungry. They are just as desperate as far as water and food as the king is. But they seem a little calmer than the king. And they hear these Guys, come in. Elisha uses a prophetic ability to see the messenger coming, and he says, guys, stand up, and he says, shut the door, hold him out, because he's, he's coming to kill me. And Elisha knew that. And he says, look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. It is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he was still speaking with him, the messenger came down to him and said, this is the words of the king, the trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Does God really help the helpless? Why should I wait for God any longer? I've prayed about this job situation for months and months, and no one's hiring me. I've prayed about this crazy boss for years now, and nothing's changing. I've prayed for my husband, and I've prayed for my wife. I've prayed for my kids. I've prayed for God's direction. I've gone to church. I've tried everything, and nothing seems like it's working. Why should I wait for God any longer? You ever felt that way? I've felt that way. We've all felt, I think, famine times, haven't we? When we think maybe, is what the Bible says really true? Is God really who he says he is? And we are in famine situations. What are we going to do? Are you going to wait for God or are you not? That was the question of the king. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Why should I listen to him? Why? This is what Elisha says. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. It had gotten so bad that people were spending 50 bucks for a donkey's head to eat, and about five bucks for dove's dung 
to eat. And Elisha comes in, and the king says, why should I wait for God? And the word of the Lord came, and Elisha says, tomorrow, about this time, things are going to be completely reversed. Everything's going to be changed. Elisha was giving them good news. Elisha was giving them gospel, which is God's going to break in and change things. He's going to turn things around. The word gospel means good news. And Elisha is prophesying that gospel is coming. God is going to work in this situation in less than 24 hours. It's going to totally change around. And so the king's standing there, and his third man who is standing there next to him, the king is probably uh, just hungry and struggling from stress, and he's kind of hunched over, holding his hand, leaning on his servant. And the captain, the guy, the messenger that came first, verse 2, Elisha prophesied hope and gospel, good news. Things are going to turn around. And then the captain, on whose hand the king leaned, said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said it about as sarcastically as you possibly could have said it. Have you ever seen the movie um, The Princess Bride? late 80s movie. The guy keeps saying, this little goofy kind of guy, bald-headed, he keeps saying, inconceivable. That's inconceivable. Everything that comes up, because that's inconceivable. Inconceivable. And so finally, one of the guys says, you keep saying that word. I don't think you know what that word means. Because everything he says is inconceivable turns around. That's how I picture this captain. It's inconceivable. How could God turn things around in 24 hours? Don't you know that for months we have been under siege? Nothing can change. It's inconceivable. Your God, Elisha, is garbage, basically, is what he was saying. Spitting on God's face. The God of Israel is not really the God who's faithful to his people. He's not, is what the captain was saying. And Elisha knew exactly what he was saying. He was mocking Yahweh. He was mocking God. And Elisha says this, But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, to the captain but you shall not eat of it. You know, when things get really crazy, when things are getting a mess, we don't get better often, do we? We seem to get worse. Just in this past week, we've seen it around the world. I mean, Monday, the stock market and the economy is up and down the place. People are jumping crazy all over the place. London is burning with just utter Utter chaos. And they're not even in this situation. Winston Churchill himself said, Certain it is that while men are gathering knowledge and power with ever-increasing and measureless speed, their virtues and their wisdom have not shown any notable improvement as the centuries have rolled on. That's the world we live in, isn't it? When famine and struggles seem to go, it seems that if you let people left to themselves... It causes chaos and destruction. It is only the grace of God that that doesn't happen on a regular and daily basis for the world. It is the Holy Spirit's restraining power that keeps that from happening on a regular basis. And that's these people's situation. The king's question is, why wait on the Lord? And Elisha says it's, it's going to happen. And this is what God does with this. Verse 3 says, Now, there were four men who were leopards at the entrance of the gate. And they said to, the, to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the, in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. 
So now come and let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. This story is filled with absolute horrific tragedy. It's one of the most sad and depressing stories, I think, in the Bible accounts. But this section here brings a little comedy. Here at these outside the walls, these four lepers. And lepers, as you know, could not have anything to do with the people. And they were stuck. I mean, they couldn't go in the city and suffer there. And they couldn't go over to the army. They'd suffer there. And so finally, they were just sitting there talking. And they said, you know what? We're going to die anyway. We're all lepers. We're just, let's just do something about this. If we go in the city, we'll die. If we go outside the city, we'll die. And so they said, let's go over to the, the Syrians and just see what's going on. And so the Bible says as they went over there, as they walked over there, God was preparing the way for them. Look at verse 6. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sounds of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away by twilight. These guys just heard some sound. They thought a huge army was coming. And all of a sudden, these army military men who wanted to devour a country, they decided we're about ready to get devoured, and they start running off. And it's four crippled little lepers slowly walking into the camp. It's hysterical. If you were reading it back in when it, the people who were first written this to, the exiles of Israel, these four lepers that nobody should have, any, that have, should have no power whatsoever just wiped out this whole army that God had sent the noise to scare them off. And as these lepers get there, all of a sudden they just go into one tent and they find a bunch of stuff. And they start eating and eating and eating. And then they find a bunch of gold and they take it and they go and hide it and they bury it. And then they, they go back and get some more. They take it, they eat it, they hide some of the stuff from the tent and they go back and they bury it. And they finally, one of them comes to his senses, you know, and they're just totally full and stuffed. And you can kind of picture four lepers on the ground just laughing it up, throwing money up in the air, thinking this is ultimately absolutely hysterical. And one of them says, you know what, this really isn't a good thing. We should not just be here all by ourselves. Let's go and tell the king that the army's gone so that other people can enjoy this as well. And so he does, and the king of Israel, we're not going to read it, but the king of Israel doesn't really believe yet. He's not convinced. So they have five horses left. And they go, send, somebody says, hey, why don't you send the five horses out there? So they send two. Because if, they are, if, all those, uh, if it's not true, the five horses they have left are gone. So the king sends out two, and they find out that everything that the lepers said was true. And they plundered the people, verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel. Listen, according to the word of the Lord. You better be careful how you think God can work. Just one situation. Just because you don't see and just because you don't know how a situation's going to turn around doesn't mean God can't turn it around. The least likely group of people to rescue this nation, God used. Not the normal means, not the measurable means, but four lepers who were despised. That's who God used. Because God keeps his word. 
The captain mocked God. He heckled God. The word of God is not to be heckled. It is to be hoped in. We are called to hope in the word of God because the word of God stands true. Job, when he was under his situation, when everything was going bad for Job, a man after God's own heart, what did Job do? Everything was wrong with Job. Job had not sinned at all. He lost his kids. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He almost lost absolutely everything. And his wife comes to him, I think, out of compassion. And she says, Job, I love you. Just curse God and die. It would be so much easier for me if I could just see you die than to watch you suffer. But Job said, woman, you're talking like one of the pagan women. He didn't say she was. He just said, you're talking like one of the pagan women. Should we not expect good things from God and also bad things from God? That was his response. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are to hope in the word of the Lord. God is not limited to our ability to see how he, how he will work out his will. He's not limited at all. He used lepers. So you better be also very careful how we respond to people because you don't know how God's going to work that and use that person, maybe in your life, maybe in the life of somebody else. He uses lepers. God is a God of good news and of the gospel. Psalm 68, 20 says, Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverance from death. This is what God does. He delivers people. He is the God of his word. He was the one who made this covenant with the nation of Israel, and he says, I will not break my promise with you. The Old Testament, all of it, is a promise being kept by God when humanity, the people of God, are going against his will. We do that, don't we? Some of the reasons some of us are in famine is because we are living out the consequences of bad choices that we've made in the past. And now you're struggling with bad choices, bad consequences, and you're blaming God. It's not God. You need to repent of the consequences of your choices that you made. God is a God of salvation. God is a God who can turn a situation around in less than 24 hours. He is a God who keeps his word. So you're, don't be angry with God. He is our hope. Don't heckle God. Don't question and say, God, are you really God? I'm done with you. Went to church, God, nothing. I'm done. No. We are living under the grace of God. The nation of Israel, under that siege, even with all those consequences, that was not just the king's fault. That was the people's fault. Because Deuteronomy 28 says, God says, if my people will not follow my ways, if you don't do that, one of the consequences will be that they will be eating their children. God in his wisdom knew that, and they did not listen. So it wasn't just the leader's fault. It wasn't just Elisha. It definitely wasn't Elisha's fault. It was the people's fault. The situation that you are in often is our fault, and we want to blame God. We stand guilty before God. All the justice, wrath, and anger of God deservedly should fall on us. But God is a God of good news, and he sent Jesus for us. The mistakes you made, the sin you've done, you deserve worse than famine. I deserve worse than famine because of my sin. But the God of the Bible says, I'm going to turn things around. 
I will turn things around if you respond to me. And he did it so often in the Old Testament. It's, he's keeping his promise. He kept the nation of Israel alive so that he could send a better Elisha, a better prophet who just spoke the words. He kept the nation of Israel alive so he could send the word, Jesus Christ, his son, who would be a man, live on earth, suffer and die for you. All the wrath of God should be on us. If you watch the news at all this week in London, with all the chaos going on, the prime minister, he came out and he said this, let it be known that the full force of the law will come on all of you who are breaking the law. And we accept that just fine, don't we? You're like, yes, get them! How dare they rip up that city? But when it comes to us, and before a holy and awesome God who created us, who sustains us, who gives us life. And God says, you know what? You're guilty before me. You sinned once. You're guilty before me. You are guilty before me. And that my justice has to fall someplace. We don't like that. God says it's true if we like it or not. But the good news is, the hope of the gospel is that God said, yes, the full force of the law is going to come down. But it doesn't have to come on you. It does not have to come down on you because of Jesus Christ. God says, I'm going to send my son so that the full force of the law will come on him. And he will take all our iniquities, all our sins, all our evil. He will die for us so that I can pass over you so that you can live in joy and righteousness and in hope because of me. The word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we can have hope. Don't heckle God's word. Hope in God's word. And wait for God. That was the call. Wait for God. I don't know what family you're going through. Maybe it's a marriage situation. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a work situation. And you've been waiting a long time for it to change, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you poured your heart out to God, and saying, God, intercede, help me out, and it doesn't seem like anything's changing. Don't heckle God's word. Hope in God's word, and wait on God. The Bible says, be still, and know that I am God. We have a hard time doing that, don't we? My wife works every other Tuesday, and so she puts the meals together for us. And she'll call me up here at the church, and if I'm talking to somebody, if I'm studying, I'm, I'm not just the nicest guy. I just, okay, yes, uh-huh, sure, sure. She tells me exactly where everything is, what needs to be done, and how to, how to put it where it's supposed to be. And I'll be, yes, yes, yes. And then I get home, and I'll call her up from work. What was I supposed to do? I was not waiting on God. I wasn't waiting on Teresa. I didn't have her, she had my full and undivided attention. And so some of you are struggling with famine and you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what God's will for your life is or where you, what to do with your situation. And you say you're praying. And God's word is very clear. God spoke directly, he spoke specifically, and he spoke clearly to the nation of Israel about what was going to happen in 24 hours. And the captain didn't believe because he was so filled with other chaos and other drama in his life that he just couldn't believe that God would intercede. That's not the God we have. We have a God of gospel, good news, of hope. He wants to intercede for our situations in his time. And maybe you just need to wait on God and wait for him so that you are absolutely still before him. Every morning, get up, God, 
I'm waiting for you. What direction should I go today? And wait for him undistracted. So you are not going to make a move until you just know that this is God's leading. And you move. We move spontaneously in life. We just can't every time, I can't stop every time I stand here and think, should I say this word? No. Should I? We can't do that. We've got to move. So the way you wait for God is in the morning, before his word, hold on to his word. And when you have a big issue, pause for a long time to try to hear from God. Be still and know that God is God. He is our hope. He is our deliverer. He is our good news of the gospel in Jesus. Does God hear the cry of the hopeless? Yes. Hold on to his word. Don't heckle the word of God. Hope in the word of God. God is writing a story of this church and of your life individually. Believe the word of God. Hope in the word of God. Don't heckle God by doubting his word or trusting in, in, in other things. Don't do that. Because what happened to the, to the captain, in verse 17, now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he had leaned to have charge of the gate. So when the people heard that there was food out there, they were so hungry, they just went busting through the gates. And it says... And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king came down. For when the man of God had said to the king what was going to happen, he answered. And so it happened, verse 20, to him, for the people trampled him in the gate. Don't do that. Hope in God. Settle under God's word. Be still and know that you are God. Whatever your famine is, be still. Ask God continually, show me. Help me to wait for you. Wait and hope in the word of God so that your life is not trampled. Hope in God. Let's pray. Just before we get to sing, I just want us to take the beginning of our week as a group together to be still again. Are you hoping in God? Is the famine of your life about ready to, you're about ready to bail on God? Don't do it. Ask God to settle your heart. Ask him to help you hope in his word. Heavenly Father God, you know every one of our situations. You are the author of our lives. And so God, I know that there are people here this morning who are struggling with some deep things that they feel like they're in utter famine. But God, help us to see that your word is true. Help us to hope in your word, not heckle it. God, I pray that you would just give people peace. Help us to repent if we need to repent. God, if there's someone here who needs to know Jesus, so that their sins can be forgiven, that they, you would convict them and draw them to yourself today. God, help us as a church and as an individuals that we would hope in your word and hold to it and trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand.